Welcome to the Empowered Eating and Living Podcast, where we dive into your inner world to explore all of the psychological, emotional, energetic, and spiritual components that may be influencing your struggle with food and eating. I'm your host, Sarah Emily Spears, a trained psychotherapist and energy worker who recovered from my own eating disorder. And now I help women just like you do the inner work to address the real issues keeping you stuck in your problematic eating patterns. Because I assure you, your problem with food is about way more than food. So join me and guest experts as we discuss the psychology of eating and healing and empower you with tangible steps you can take today to begin to improve your relationship with food and yourself from a place of true nourishment and care. Hello, everyone. Welcome, you dear souls, to the Empowered Eating and Living podcast. It feels surreal that I'm here talking to you because this podcast has been at least five years in the making, if not longer. So this literally is a dream coming true and I could not be more lit up about it. And I'm even more grateful that you're here with me. So I hope that you will join me for a very long and fruitful journey together because I have like only a gazillion things that I want to share with you and teach you. We are going to get to know each other very well. If you don't currently know me, my name is Sarah Emily Spears. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist and an energy worker. And so I'll share more about me and my journey in a future episode. All you need to know for today is that my area of expertise, my specialization is in helping women do the inner work to address the issues underlying their eating issues, typically overeating, emotional eating, binge eating, and bulimia. Okay. So if you're someone who struggles with restriction and under eating to a degree of severity that it would be classified as anorexia, this may not be the most relevant information for you because I tend to deal with the, the opposite issue, which is the overeating out of control eating and sort of food addiction experience that people can have. If that is you and you experience with any form of sort of disordered eating tendencies, right? There's a spectrum of the severity and sometimes our relationship with food and our struggles ebb and flow. So you might be in a, you know, a less severe place right now in your journey or more severe, but the bottom line is like, you want to work on improving your relationship with food and your eating habits and tendencies. And you intuitively know that your approach to trying to sort of address your food and eating issues or improve your relationship with food and eating up until now has not really been hitting the mark. And typically what I find is that most people, our default solution or attempt to solve our food problem is to try and control food. And the reality is if up until now, your only solution has been to try and control food, then you are actually missing addressing the real problem, the true problems. And there could be many, but I assure you food is sort of the the secondary problem. It becomes the band-aid. It becomes the symptom that points to deeper issues that we need to look at and address. And so that is my area of expertise and my specialty. 
And this is what I want to dedicate this podcast to is educating you about the plethora of information regarding the psychology of food and eating that far expands beyond just obsessing about food and calories. Like, Oh, I, that is like the last thing I want to talk about. I want to talk about you and what's going on within you because your inner world is fascinating. And most likely there's a lot going on in your unconscious that you have been sort of oblivious to, or potentially neglecting or avoiding looking at up until now. And you don't have to do it alone because I get to be your guide on this journey, offering you new insight, new perspectives, new information that you get to kind of nibble on and contemplate on your own. And on this journey, I like to think of myself as a guide or a mentor or an educator, but by no means am I God who has all of the answers. And by no means do I believe that everything I share with you is going to be true of you. Okay. So your job is to become the ultimate authority of you and really notice how things land with you what resonates is true, what maybe creates resistance or triggers you or activates you because that's going to give you valuable information on this journey. So keep what resonates, look at what hits you the wrong way and throw away things that just don't feel true for you. It may not be true for you. Okay. And so that's part of, for all human beings, as we grow in our level of consciousness and self-awareness, we begin to discern truth according to our own unique experience. Now, with all of that said, if you check the box as someone who is struggling with your relationship with food and eating in some capacity or degree, and you're really desiring to understand your inner world and be able to access the root issue or problems, then you're in the right place. And I hope that you will follow this podcast and join me on this journey. Today, I want to share with you my general overview and perspective of how I look at and approach one's relationship with food and eating. Because like I said, the problem really isn't food. I mean, we focus on food as the problem, but it's become a problem because we have not been able to address some of the other factors that are influencing our relationship with food and how we use food. And so what I call those factors are the five bodies of health. This is sort of my holistic perspective. It gives you a map and a lens to look at yourself and your current relationship with food and eating and better identify and understand some of the areas that may be influencing how you use food. And when you have that self-awareness, it then points you in the direction of Ah, now with this knowledge, I can start to take action towards addressing the actual problem that is influencing, that's perpetuating the cycle that's in place. So the five bodies of health are the physical body, the mental body, the emotional body, the energy body, and the soul body. We're going to start with the physical body. Now, obviously what comes to mind when we think of the physical body is the physical body. But what I'm actually pointing to is how we take care of the physical body. So this is looking at our habits. This is looking at sleep and how sleep is going to affect you at how stress affects the physical body, looking at hydration and nutrition, 
or if you are lacking nutrition and how that's affecting the physical body. I know in my own personal experience, I had a period of time where I actually was deficient in protein and that was really fueling my binging. And so sometimes if we're deficient in certain vitamins, if you're a vegetarian or vegan and you're deficient in B12 or, or iron, right? These could be impacting some of the, the urges and cravings that you're experiencing. Additionally, when we're dealing with the physical body, we want to look at how our habits are created and formed and reinforced. And I want to encourage you to really start to understand how your brain works, how the habit loop works and understand the cues and the rewards and what's reinforcing the patterns that are in play. Because when you understand how habits work in the physical brain and body, then you can actually work with your brain and body to start to change the habits. You can work on weakening certain neural patterns and reinforcing and creating new ones that are aligned with how you would prefer to think, feel, behave, and eat. The other piece of the physical body is understanding how actual restriction influences the brain and contributes to binging restriction, meaning restricting the amount of calories, restricting the frequency of food intake, restricting the types of foods that you consume over prolonged periods of time will set you up to be vulnerable to start to binge. And that is literally supported by a ton of research. We know dieting is ineffective, but what many people don't know is that dieting is one of the gateways into setting your brain up to become a brain that tells you to binge, that sends you stronger signals to eat. And that craves foods that are high in fat and sugar because your animal brain begins to detect that there isn't enough. Your animal brain, which is designed for survival, all it knows is I'm not getting enough and I'm consistently not getting enough. And as far as your brain is concerned, there's a famine. Like starvation is a very real threat. And your survival brain and survival drive is always going to overpower your conscious mind and willpower that's trying to resist the urges to eat. So if you are someone who has really been on a diet, restrict, binge, yo-yo cycle, I want to highly encourage you to realize how that actually perpetuates this pattern of binging or overeating. And that the goal is to begin to just regulate and normalize your eating patterns. Okay. It's not even so much about what you eat, although eating well-balanced and, and having sort of moderation where, yeah, I'm eating some fruits, I'm eating vegetables, I'm eating meat, I'm eating grains, I'm eating sugar and sweets and the foods I like, I'm eating a, a variety of foods would probably be a, I think a safe recommendation. I don't like to tell people what to eat. I prefer to empower you to learn how to feed yourself according to your unique body and tendencies, but we'll get into that later for now. I just want you to know that it is so important that you are feeding your body enough calories consistently throughout the day, every day. And if you can do that, you will turn down the dial of panic in the animal brain that believes it's going to start. Even if you know, that's not true. Even if there's a plethora of food around you, it doesn't matter if the animal brain is getting the cue of not enough, it's going to turn up the dial of eat. It's going to turn up your hunger cravings. Okay. 
The bottom line though, is when we're looking at the physical body, we want to make sure that your habits that are in place of how you take care of the physical body is supporting you and preventing you from being vulnerable to turning to food as a way to either self-regulate, to try and feel better, or because your brain literally thinks it's not getting enough. The second body of health is the mental body where you're looking at the mind and your thoughts. And there's a few layers of the mental body that I like people to explore and that I explore one-on-one with my clients and in my group programs. The first is just going to be the cognitive distortions that you have. These are the thinking patterns that are in place that tend to reinforce our quote unquote bad choices or problematic choices and cycles with food and eating. Now I'm going to give you just two very common types of cognitive distortions. The first one is rationalizations. Rationalizations are when we rationalize that it is okay to engage in a behavior that we know actually isn't okay because we tell ourselves something like this will be the last time or I'm never going to do this again, or I'm going to start tomorrow. And those rationalizations are these sneaky permissions where we're actually lying to ourselves because it's not true that we're going to start tomorrow. How many times have we said that it's not true that we're never going to eat sugar again. That's not true, right? It's an extreme. It's a rationalization. And as a result of that, we then conclude because I'm going to start tomorrow. I call it the I'll start tomorrow syndrome because I'm going to start tomorrow. That means today, Oh, it's going to be the last time. And because it's the last time I'm going to go get everything that I'm never going to eat again. I'm going to eat all of it until I'm sick. Now for me, the rationalization also permissioned me to, to throw up the food, which is a really harmful behavior. Like in no situation, is that really okay? But I convinced myself it was okay. And there may be ways that you are sneakily convincing yourself that it's okay. The other danger of these rationalizations is that another part of ourselves, this higher consciousness self knows what we're doing. And we get mad at ourselves. We judge ourselves. I did it again. I did it again. I lied to myself again. I didn't uphold my vow to start over, to never do something again. And then we condemn ourselves. We get angry at ourselves. We judge ourselves and we put ourselves in the shame spiral. And we're really vulnerable to then learning to hate ourselves because we are judging so strongly the choices that we're making as a result of some of these cognitive distortions like rationalizations. Another one that I want you to begin to be on the lookout for is what I call the what the heck effect. I did not make this up. I remember when I worked as a personal trainer, I had another male trainer who told me about this concept. And so it comes from someone from somewhere. It's not my concept, but I think it is brilliant and it's important that you understand it. You probably already know what I'm talking about. The, what the heck effect goes something like this. Well, I already ate a cookie. So what the heck? I might as well eat five more, 10 more, finish the box, right? It's like, we have these labels in our mind of good foods and bad foods, healthy and unhealthy, what we should eat, what we shouldn't eat. There's a little bit of morality tied into this. I'm good. If I eat good, I'm bad. If I eat bad. And if I mess up by eating something in my mind that I've cataloged and categorized as bad or unhealthy, well, then what the heck I've already messed up. And because I've already messed up, I might as well continue to mess up. Like, let me really make a big, big mess of it. And this is one of the things that can, can fuel our, our tendencies to self-sabotage is the, what the heck effect. So as you become aware of what's going on in your mind 
and you build this self-awareness and you make these thoughts that may just be happening without you even realizing it, you make them conscious. You are suddenly in a position of power to be able to decide, am I going to act on this thought? Because just because you have a thought doesn't mean you actually have to listen to it. You get to begin to become aware, label the thought. Oh, I'm noticing. I just had a, what the heck effect thought. Well, I'm noticing. I just told myself I'd start tomorrow. And I know that isn't true. I know that's a lie. I'm not going to lie to myself anymore. Right. And the moment that you label and notice the thought and you take what's been streaming in your mind and you put it outside of yourself by speaking it out loud or writing it down. Oh, now I've got a little space between the thought and myself and I can decide, am I going to listen to this? I can challenge the thought. I can choose to change the thought and maybe you replace the thought with a neutral thought. Maybe you replace the thought with a, a more positive or encouraging or empowering thought. That's something that you get to begin to practice on this journey. Now, the other layers of the mental body go a little bit deeper into our subconscious. And this is where we have our core beliefs about ourselves and about our body, right? And typically our beliefs about ourselves and our body were formed and programmed in the subconscious between the ages of zero to 12. That is the, the time in development. You know, you come into the world as an infant, little baby with zero thoughts. You don't know what a body is. You don't know what fat is. You don't even know how to talk, right? You have no concept of self whatsoever. That is shaped. That is learned. That is conditioned over your childhood. And that forms the foundation. It forms the beliefs you have about yourself, that you have about others, that you have about the world. And sometimes these beliefs are not actually true, nor are they helpful. And some of those common beliefs are, I'm not enough, or I'm broken, or something's wrong with me, or I'm unlovable, or I'm a failure, or beliefs that like my body is wrong, or I need to be different than I am. I need to strive to be perfect. My emotions are wrong, right? There's we start to look at the subconscious beliefs that can exist. There's a lot that can start to pop up and it can feel really true. And if you've created any of these subconscious beliefs about yourself or your body, they likely create the lens through which you view yourself in the world, right? It's like, you've put on a pair of glasses and those glasses have a specific hue or tint and it does tint the way everything looks. And that can be really frustrating because you might find that no matter how much you say positive affirmations or try to tell yourself something isn't true, it feels really, really true. And that might be fueling you to obsessively try to control food, to control your body so that you can finally feel like you are worthy or good enough of being loved or being liked or being accepted or being deserving of the goals and the things your heart desires. And so it's a huge obstacle that we really need to begin to look at when we are trying to improve our relationship with food and eating. This is a lot of the work that I do one-on-one and that I do in my group programs is helping to guide people into the subconscious to begin to reprogram and repattern the beliefs that are there. My process that I use is emotional freedom technique, but there are so many really incredible processes and more being created all the time that support one in doing this deeper work. I think I'll have to do a whole podcast on reprogramming the subconscious. And in fact, I mean, my gosh, we could probably spend hours and hours exploring it because 
the mind is a fascinating and complex thing, but I do want to give you some right now, just food for thought for you to contemplate how might my subconscious belief system be affecting my current relationship with food and eating. And if that isn't something you've explored, then please stick around so we can explore it together, but also consider exploring actually finding a practitioner or group or program that you can join that's going to help you do this work. If you're struggling with food and eating issues and you want insight as to why, then I highly recommend you download and take the Empowered Eating Blueprint quiz that I've created to help you identify which of the five bodies of health, that's physical, mental, emotional, energetic, and soul bodies, may be at play for you and that you would benefit from addressing on your healing journey. The first step to change is self-awareness, and this quiz is designed to give you that. Click the link in the show notes to access the quiz now. The last piece of the mental body I just want to mention when I was talking about the childhood programming is that this is also the time we can start to develop our eating programming. A lot of people I work with, when we sit down to look at the origins of their relationship with food in their body, usually goes back and starts in childhood. Of course, because that's when we start to create our habits and our way of existing in the world. And so most likely this is when you started to experience food as love or food being used as a treat or reward, or you heard messages about cleaning your plate, or you observed your parents dieting or struggling with their relationship with food in their body, or you actually heard messages about dieting, or you got put on a diet as a child, right? Or you started to sneak food or you started to, um, become emotionally attached to sugar, right? There's like so many food and eating experiences that you probably had as a child that began to shape what I call the eating programming in our mind. And this is something that is the third aspect of the mental body that is important to look at and explore and address. Moving on, we've got the emotional body. Now, if you are an emotional eater and a stress eater, This is obviously a body that you are going to want to give a lot of attention to because many of us have learned how to feed our feelings rather than feel our feelings. In fact, this may be such an unconscious automatic coping response that you don't even realize you're doing it half the time. It's like your brain has been trained the millisecond. It feels any inner discomfort is immediately in the cupboards, in the fridge, trying to find something to help you feel better. So a big piece of this is beginning to actually build the emotional awareness and intelligence because you've probably learned to disconnect from the emotions themselves because it was never safe to actually feel the depth of your sadness or your anger. You didn't have parents growing up who could fully validate or help you process these emotions or who were a safe person for you to co-regulate. Maybe you heard messages that, you know, you need to be strong or you're too dramatic or stop crying or just be happy, right? There's all sorts of messages you may have heard about your emotions that shaped how you began to self-soothe in your times of emotional distress. And for many children, if they didn't have a parent who could support them in doing this, they learned to self-regulate with food. You know, you have easy access to food. And so the brain realizes, oh, when I felt upset, when I wanted to cry, mom said, don't cry. I went and I ate ice cream. I had crackers. I had chips. I felt better. The brain like remembers that begins to automate that. And so fast forward to adulthood and you're not even thinking about it anymore. You're stressed after a long day of work. You had an argument with your partner. Your kids are driving you crazy. You're worried about finances. And there's this intensity of of stress and dysregulation in your, your body. 
And your brain's default is to tell you to eat, to try and regulate and feel better. And so part of your work, part of this journey for you is to begin to repattern how you actually respond to your emotional needs and begin to learn new ways to feel and free your emotions in ways that's healthy and helpful because eating to stuff down your feelings actually doesn't do anything to effectively process the emotional energy. Like the energy needs to be moved. It needs to be felt. It needs to be discharged from the body. And there's lots of ways that you can do that. But if you're someone who struggles with emotional eating, I'm going to want to encourage you to begin to explore this body of health. How do I begin to become a friend to my emotions and give myself permission to feel and free everything when it arises? And that, oh my gosh. Is something we should have learned as children and most of us didn't. So here we are as adults trying to figure out how the heck to be human and deal with all the ups and downs and intensities of this human experience. And it's pretty funny. This was my experience. And a lot of people I work with who say, as they start to do this work and learn how to feel their feelings and all the emotions come back online, it's like you question your sanity because you're feeling so much, but the difference is you're finally feeling it. You're not numbing it. You're not suppressing it with food, you are in the intensity of the emotions and building the skill and the ability to hold yourself in that, or to rely on someone else to hold you in that and move through it. And on the other side of the emotions is the liberation. You create space for you to receive uh, peace, for you to receive lightness, for you to experience more well-being and a sense of like balance, if you will. The other part of the emotional body that is as important is beginning to look at your emotional wounds. Okay. So there's feeling the emotions in the present that surface, but a lot of times what we experience is an activation of unprocessed emotions from the past. So you might experience a flooding of emotions. And one of the indications that's happening is that your response is much bigger than the situation warrants. It's like you just lose it right? It's like a total meltdown or you overreact and yell at people way more than was warranted. And so we all have within us, these, what I call emotional wounds. Sometimes they result from traumatic experiences and unprocessed trauma. Other times we had unmet needs where we're just super sensitive to feeling rejected or abandoned. And that can be a really like tender sore spot for us. And other times there were just experiences where your brain wasn't able to fully process the emotions. And so in your mind and in your body, it's still holding a lot of the charge. Okay. I think of the emotional wounds, like rose thorns that would be stuck in your side. It's like, if you never take out the thorn and someone goes to give you a hug, it's like they're reactivating the pain because the thorn is getting pushed into your skin again, versus if we just took the thorn out at the, the moment of impact and allowed the body to heal, then in in the future, if someone gives you a hug, like they're not going to reactivate your pain. And so a lot of us are walking around with these really fragile pain bodies. And we have all of these thorns that we never got to fully process. And people in our day-to-day life are constantly hitting those points and activating old pain, pain from the past that resurfaces in the present. Okay. So a lot of this work is not only how do I honor my emotions in the present, but how do I actually begin to uncover and process all of the emotional wounds from the past? This is probably the bulk of the work I do because I 
love, capital L-O-V-E, emotions and holding space for people to process those big emotions. And it took me a long time to get to a place where I can say that because when I was binging and purging, I was disconnected from my emotions. I was terrified of my emotions. I certainly didn't give myself permission to feel sad or mad, nonetheless feel rage. And I had a really hard time being vulnerable in front of other people. I had a really hard time asking for help. And I had a really hard time letting myself not be okay because I was a perfectionist. I have it all together. I help other people feel better, but I don't need help. Right. But let's all just like recognize the importance of this work. And I think you can see by now why I say at the beginning, like your problems with food is not just about food. I also know that it can be overwhelming when all the light bulbs start to go off and you realize how complex your relationship with food in your body is. It's like, oh my gosh, like, how do I, how am I ever going to like tackle this? But it's like, how do you eat the elephant one bite at a time? We we don't have to do it all at once. You get to start with one piece at a time. And so just listening to today's podcast episode, I want to encourage you to pick just one thing that you're going to start to, to look at or focus on for yourself. You can journal about it. Um, you can take action based on what I'm recommending. You can look at some of the offerings that I have. If you're like already eager beaver, ready to dive in and do some inner work, I'm here to support you in that. With that said, let me share the last two bodies of health. Okay. So the, the fourth body of health is the energy body. I really get lit up talking about the energy body because it's one that is often avoided or overlooked by people, or it's just not something that you may be aware of for whatever reason, which is really funny to think about because like everything is energy. So the fact that we are like oblivious to how energy affects our thoughts and feelings and behaviors is like, it just seems ironic, but the reality is many of us just don't even consider it. I certainly didn't. I mean, it took me until my thirties to begin to look at this myself, which is why I enjoy sharing it so much because it's often a missing piece. So energy shows up in a few ways when we're looking at the energy body. First of all, your body has an energy system. It has energy meridians. You have your energy chakras. There's a very complex network of energy systems that is working to allow your body to function. That's supporting your immune system and functioning. That is supporting your heart and beating, right? Um, If you go and get an EKG or an MRI, like it's working at the energy of your body, like if your heart stops beating, that means you no longer have energy, right? That's allowing your heart to beat. Like energy is, is what allows us to be. It's what allows your hair to grow, your nails to grow. Like it is you, you are energy. Everything is energy. And so being able to understand how your energy body works and recognizing where there may be some blockages or imbalances is going to be really beneficial for you. Because if you think of your body, like a house, And your energy system is like the electricity in the house. If the electricity is working, all the wires are working. You can turn on the lights. You have power. Everything works. If there's a fuse that blows, suddenly you're out of power, like nothing works. And so your body is similar. Like when your energy body is balanced and the energy is flowing as it should, you're going to feel good. You're going to have energy. 
And if there's some energy imbalances or blockages, it is going to impact how you feel. And it shows up as physical, mental, and emotional symptoms. All illness and disease is going to stem from a deeper energy imbalance in some capacity. Additionally, when we're dealing with energy, there's the energy of others. So you may be an empath. I'm willing to bet probably like, I don't know, all all my earnings, all my life possessions that you are an empath because I mean, we all are sensitive beings in some capacity. It's just how, how intense and how sensitive, but an empath means like you really feel other people's emotions and energy. You see the things going on in the news and the world and feel the weight of the pain of those suffering. You feel the weight of, of the stress of the ones that you love. Like you actually physically absorb and take on their emotional energy. And there's this weight and heaviness that you carry on your body. That is very real, but it's not actually yours. And this is important to begin to discern and recognize because if you're someone who has learned how to cope with your emotions with food. And half of the emotions you're carrying aren't even yours, then you like, this is going to fuel and propel the emotional eating cycle. Unless you're able to cleanse your energy body and practice energy hygiene and shield your energy from being vulnerable to take on other people's energy and notice when you have taken on energy that isn't yours and release it and find ways to clear it. Okay. So this is energy hygiene learning how to take care of your energy body and learning how to shield and protect yourself from others' energy. This is why the energy body is so important because if you don't realize this is at play, it may be one of the most important factors that you need to begin to work on to support yourself and your total well-being. And this extends beyond just your relationship with food and eating. Now, the final body of health is the soul body. Okay. The soul body, we hopefully by now understand that you're not your body, that there's an energy, a life force that inhabits your body, that animates your body. That is you. And that makes you unique from anybody else. It's like this truest life essence, soul signature, like your soul is like who and what you are. And if we have up until now, just been operating in the world, as like, I am my body and I am my ego and I'm my personality. And you don't recognize your true nature. You're going to stay stuck. Okay. So, so improving our relationship with food and eating ultimately takes you on a path of a spiritual awakening of realizing your truth, that who and what you are is not your body and that you have other needs. You have other hungers beyond just physical hunger. We have on a soul level, a need for like deep love and connection and intimacy. We have a need for like a soul purpose and and making a contribution that's meaningful in this lifetime. We have a need to be creative and expressive beings, right? You have soul needs. And if you are not nourishing your soul in the way it needs, then you may actually find that you are using food to try and fill the void, to fill what I call these soul holes, right? And it's like, that's when we experience 
It's like, we're a bottomless pit. We know we're not hungry. In fact, the food doesn't even taste good. In fact, we know we feel sick or full, but like there's something that is forcing us to keep eating the food because we're trying to get a feeling that cannot be accomplished from food and recognizing and beginning to learn who am I on a deeper level and what are my soul needs and how have I been neglecting, nourishing my soul and taking care of this soul? And how can I begin to like really satisfy the cravings of my soul? You are going to begin to release the need for food to be the source of everything for you because it can't, it's impossible. You will never be fully satisfied by food if you are not satisfying the needs of the soul. And so that's the soul work. That's, that's the work of the soul body. And so by now you have hopefully a really nice comprehensive picture of the five bodies of health. And this, I said, is sort of the, the map that I use to navigate exploring one's relationship with food and eating. And that is sort of the map that you get to now have to guide you on your own inner exploration or exploring your own situation. And most likely you're going to need to explore every single one of these bodies and address every single one of these bodies in some capacity. And there's no rush and there's no race. You get to just pick one thing that you're going to focus on first. And I will be continuing to explore each of these more in depth with you throughout this podcast. So make sure that you follow and like the show so you can get the future episodes. And I also want to encourage you in the show notes, I'm going to include a link to the five body of health quiz. I call it the empowered eating blueprint quiz, but I've made a quiz that you can take for free. That is going to help you identify which of the five bodies of health are probably most important for you to focus on first. So this might help to give you a little bit more clarity on where to put your focus and your attention. And after you download that quiz, then you can take that information and use it to help you determine the next action steps that you're going to take. And if you have questions that come up for you, as you've listened to this podcast, and as you take the quiz, then I want to invite you to, to reach out and share those questions with me so I can answer them on future episodes. You can email me at info at I truly would love to hear from you. Thanks for tuning in to the Empowered Eating and Living Podcast. If you liked today's episode, make sure to follow the show so you don't miss future episodes. And if you loved it, then please share this episode on your social media or send it to loved ones who may benefit from listening too.